0: Well, amen to that, right? Amen. amen. We are starting a new sermon series today. It's a four-week sermon series. It's titled Solid Ground. And all throughout scripture, you can hear the words of people who wrote scriptures, who followed Jesus, who followed God, and said they planted their, fir- their feet on a firm rock, a firm foundation on solid ground. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do as a church together is we're going to plant our feet on solid ground so we know where we stay where we stand and so this first scripture is from a group of people who heard the word of God read to them and who yearned for the, the word of God to be read to them and so often we can read it whenever we want we can do whatever we want with the word it's surrounded by us but these people were begging for the word of God to be read And even in the scripture I'm about to read, I'm going to list off so many names and so many tribes. There's many people standing here. And one of the reactions that they can't help but to do is to bow and fall on their faces in front of the scripture. Kind of like it says in our song, we'll bow before the king, we'll bow before the lion. And that's what they did in the scripture. That Their response to scripture was to bow and yell amen and yell hallelujah. So as you listen to the scripture... Listen to the words that God has for you this morning. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for this occasion— Beside him on his right stood Mattitiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hakiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Michelle, Malchiah, Hashum, Hashbunah, Zechariah, and Meshelam. Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above him. And as he opened it, all of the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord the great God and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebadiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Keltiah, Azariah, Josabad, Hashan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. The day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Let us take in these holy words that are God's and let us join our hearts together in prayer. God, this morning, we come to you to hear your words, to hear your scriptures, to hear what you have in store for us. And God, we, would, we just ask that we would have the desires that these people had to hear your word And when we hear it, we would rejoice and be glad and yell amen and yell hallelujah because your word is what gives us life. And the words that you have provided, that you have given to Pastor Mike today, let us open our ears to them and recognize them, that they are your words. Lift him up so he can speak for you and so he can be a vessel for you. God, we're prepared to rejoice over your words. We're prepared to stand and to yell because your words give us life. So we are ready, God. We're ready to receive them. We're ready to stand and to worship you because you and you alone are the only one who is worthy of our worship. So let it be so today that we worship you. In your name we pray, amen.
1: So the first time I heard Nehemiah 8 preached, it was by a fairly famous uh, North American preacher named Billy Graham. And uh, when he was uh, reading the text in williams Bryce Stadium in Columbia, South Carolina, he got to that bunch of names that Kelsey pronounced, and they were, of course, putting it up on the jumbotron, and uh, they got the first name right, and then the, the, guy, the person that was doing the closed captioning just wrote many foreign names. So. Um, If you want to correct Kelsey, um, that would be awesome. You can talk to her, and then you'll be reading the scripture next week uh, here in church. Uh, But she did a great job on that. Give her a hand. Come on. That's 26 names. That's a lot. Um, A little bit of love that might be followed by the walk of shame. Um, You don't have to listen to me right now if you don't own a Toyota, but um, the ushers handed me a Toyota key fob before worship that was found out in the parking lot. So if you can't get home and you own a Toyota... Or if you know right now that this is yours, come on forward.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, one more little kind of fun thing. The why Pastor Mike Morgan really doesn't like canceling church. For one, I grew up in a family that Sunday went to church. Martin Luther says every Sunday a little Easter, so you can't skip Easter, right? But I remember in... Uh, the late 80s, I was pastor, first pastor, first time I'd ever have a church of my own. And it had snowed, one of those Colorado snowstorms, which don't last very long, but the snow was about this deep on, on the top step of the church. And I was standing on the top step, and I was just thinking, I should call the radio station and cancel this thing, because, you know, I don't want people to come out when they shouldn't come out. And I looked down the road, and two blocks away from me was little Iona Dowdy. She was 92 years old, and she weighed about one pound more than the wind, you know. She's coming up. and She walks up the steps. She knew what I was doing, too. And she just walked and stopped by me and said, Pastor Mike, don't cancel church. We need to be together. So the only time I've canceled church at Marion Methodist is when the city made me. And uh, I hope to keep that on. And uh, out here in the wind, we've got a little snow, though, don't we? So um, the, the uh, Methodist church, I want to... Some as uh, I want to make sure that you Methodists are on, online with this. The Methodist Church has called a special general conference uh, this week, and, and I'll be going down the end of the week uh, for, for a handful of days. Uh, this conference, typically a general conference, meets every four years, but we're having one in the middle of those four years to deal with specific issues. This has been called regarding the division in the church regarding the matters of holy sexuality, uh, specifically marriage within the church, ordination, the adherence to our own rules and discipline and, of course, our witness to the world. 864 delegates from four continents will be gathering in St. Louis at the Dome of the Americas, where the Rams used to play football. Um, And uh, 12 of us from Iowa will be there elected, and and therefore it's a four-day conference. First day will be a day of prayer. The second day will be organization and then looking at all 74 petitions, doing a straw vote of which ones will come to the floor, and then the last two days we'll be doing the legislative things, at the end of which um, we certainly hope after 40 years of discussion about this, that there are some discussions and decisions made so that we can have a way uh, forward. Now, <clears throat> we had made a call last week and during the week in the emails uh, that there was going to be a prayer session this afternoon, but the faint of heart have canceled that. Um, so we are going to encourage you to go ahead and pray for the general conference. There may be a, a special prayer session coming out. I don't know. I just received the email actually during the first service that it was canceled. So share with that. But the reason we want you to pray for pray is that our connected future for Methodism is, is somewhat in the balance. Um, there are 75 million Methodists in the world. And Methodists always have a method, which is my way of saying, whatever happens won't happen fast. The decision will be made, but we will have time to, to work together on that. And what I will tell you this for, for a fact, because this is what's within my purview, is that Marian Methodist is going to navigate whatever decisions are made, whatever future that we see for ourselves, faithfully, um, together, and and with deliberacy, so 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 we need to be praying for that and for the Methodist Church. So I'm going to just take a moment as we roll into the sermon time today. Let's take a minute. Let's pray for the United Methodist Church, if you would, uh, Lord God. Uh, several hundred years ago, a few fellows gathered at Oxford and and felt that the church was uh, walking away from the Bible, and so they formed that club that uh, they called the Holy Club, in which they studied you, and you know all about this, Lord. We're not teaching you anything. They studied your way and discerned that those that would be called uh, Christian needed to have holy lives and holy tempers and learn the scriptures. And and that movement began to spread across England, and many were brought to salvation. Uh, Enthusiasm with the witness of Jesus Christ grew, and and many things uh, were witnessed socially. Uh, The the drop in teenage work laws and, and alcoholism and all those sorts of things. And, and then the Wesleys and the Koch and Asbury and others began what's known uh, universally as the Great Emoking in, in, in the United States, uh, which grew to be the largest denomination in the United States for over 100 years. Colleges were begun, camps were planted, mission agencies were grown, and of course then a very enthusiastic evangelistic message was sent to the rest of the world uh, that uh, cultivated many to you on many different continents. And so today we offer this prayer in this new day for a new day. God, if it's time for us to renew, lead us there. If it's time for us to reorganize, lead us there. We are your servants. Make us a leadable people that will follow you in all things. In the name of the firstborn from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray, amen. So I have a little work to do today today. And in seminary, we call what I'm going to do here in the next uh, handful of moments, uh, an eat right, exercise more sermon, which is I'm going to talk to you about the obvious that sometimes we know we're supposed to do and need to do a little bit more of, okay? It starts with uh, the scripture verse right now. May these words in my mouth, pardon me. And this meditation of my heart be pleasing to your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's what I wonder in the days we're at right now. If we have another wild winter like this, is worship going to change so dramatically that it will become something like this? Take a look at this
2: video. Tired of having to wake up and get dressed and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, to connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of the mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual off from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. Well, I hope not.
1: I I hope that's not where we're going, but I know if it snows enough, that might be where we're going. But we're going to talk today about worship that was a lot different than that. Today, uh, as we begin this four-week series on Solid Ground... We really need to look at what our solid ground is in worship, in life. And I got to tell you, I grew up during the 70s. And so I don't know if all adolescents in the 70s shared this same fear that I had. But <clears throat> there was this terrifying fear, if you grew up in the 70s, that most of us that watched TV had, and I'll tell you what it was. It was quicksand. Quicksand was ter- terrifying. Every, every week on Johnny Quest, somebody found Quicksand. Gilligan's Island, quicksand. F Troop, quicksand. Even on some of the dramas, they'd find quicksand. And they'd be this deep into it until they saw the obvious sign. Quicksand, don't go in here. So we we grew up looking terrified. We were trying to find solid ground everywhere because where was this quicksand? It was all around us. I I looked all over Mary and never found any quicksand. But terrifying as it was, and hard... And nearly impossible to escape as it was, quicksand seemed to be a reality in our lives. And we crave solid ground. You know, physically, we're only comfortable when we're standing on solid ground. You know, and emotionally and spiritually, we feel the same way. Spiritually, we seek solid ground. What is it that we can, can base our lives on? What can, we fi- what can we stand on in a life that's filled with hope and disappointment and joy and happiness and danger and grief and chaos and fulfillment and fulfillment and loneliness? I was taught in the church of my youth a little ditty Put it up there on the screen. This is a little song called the B I B L E. Do you know that? I'm turning off the microphone so you can sing with me. Come on, Blizzard Days, you get to participate, right? (laughs) But you know, there's some truth. Now just remember the words. If you didn't learn it, then it's on the screen for you. If you didn't learn that when you were a child. But understand the truth of that. It doesn't say it's a good idea or it's some sort of firm place to stand. It says the only place you need to stand, I stand alone on the word of God. Because it's all sufficient. It's all that we we'll ever need. The Judeo-Christian tradition stands on the divine revelation of Holy Scripture. That's our thing. That's why they're under every other seat in, in this place. That's why we tell you, download the U version so you can have it with you no matter where you go. Come to a Bible study because the entire Judeo-Christian Tradition stands on the divine revelation of Holy Scripture. So let's take a little bit of a look at this story that Kelsey read a few moments ago to understand where the role and the authority of Scripture comes from. In the book of Nehemiah, you see the priest Ezra there in Jerusalem, now, what these two guys are famous for was that Jerusalem had been totally knocked down by the Assyrians and Nehemiah and Ezra had inspired the Jews to build it up with their own hands to rebuild the whole city of Jerusalem. Now, we're talking about, about 320 acres of city, so a pretty good city and, and, and big high walls and they built the whole thing back up. And once it was built back up, it was a time of, of celebration. And so they had this worship service. Now, at this worship service, you see something that was never before in the scriptures. Prior to this, scripture was all shared orally and told to the people. But in Nehemiah 8, this is the first public recognition of the authority of scripture. The first time scripture itself is, is, is held high as an authoritative place place. Now the people are all there. They're all one body. The men, the women, they're actually there and they're not virtually there like we just saw a few moments ago. They're all there and they hungered and thirsted for the word so much that they asked, they went to the priest Ezra and say, could you read us from the book? Could you read us the law? I wonder if that would happen next Sunday if we just kind of skip the, the, the Bibles, if, if one or 50 of you would say, we're hungry for the word. Read it to us. Lift it up and, and, and read it to us. But this is what happened. We need to interpret that today. And and the word was there, and it was for all who could could understand. And they made clear the word to everyone. Now, where Ezra was standing, and it was, it's, it's, a, it's a line in there that's really important in the scriptures. It says, Ezra stood on a platform built for the occasion. This is the group that had just built all of Jerusalem back up. And then, because they craved to hear this law so much, in five days, they built this huge platform to him to stand on. Now, just for a moment, some of you are new at Marian Methodist, some of you have been here a long time, I want to remind you, because this is clear and, and necessary for us to understand, that when we built this house of worship, we followed the example of Nehemiah 8. And we built a platform just for the purpose of the proclamation of the word. Let me, let me show you a couple of pictures. Uh, first, um, There's Pastor Mike uh, a year and a half or so ago when we were getting ready to pour the foundations of this church with one of our pew Bibles from the other church, wrapping it up in plastic. That's me with uh, uh, every every tool master's friend, a roll of duct tape. Because we wanted to to remind ourselves as we built the church that, that this wasn't just for fun, a reminder that we are built on the fact that we are a people of the word. Show the next slide if you would, guys. And the platform itself was built on it. Now, if you're, if you're good at, at seeing, if this picture's okay, you can see. You see me in the middle, leaning down with the Bible. Now, let me tell you where that Bible is. That Bible's about five foot below my location right here. We placed that Bible right underneath where the cross of Jesus Christ was going to be. So when this platform was built, it wasn't... Silly! It wasn't anything like that, but that we could literally say that this platform is built on and for the Word of God. And show me that next picture, if you would. When, when Teresa and myself and, and my daughter Lisa and uh, Kirby were out there, uh, and John Brockard, who was taking some of these pictures, you know, what ran through my mind as the concrete began to come over the top of the Bible uh, of the Scriptures. That song we sang. The B I B L E. Yeah, that's the book for me. We stand alone on the Word of God, the B I B L E. Let me show you one more picture. And so, when it was finally covered, your legacy is in place. And those of you that have just started coming to Marion Methodist, or those of you who have been here for a long time, I just absolutely ask you do not neglect telling this story. It is a tangible statement of who we are. Tell that story again and again and again that this very place, this very platform is built for and literally built on the word of God. Share that, don't miss that. What happened when when, when Ezra stood forward is he opened the book. Now, their books would have been lots bigger no printing press, you know. When he opened the book, worship broke out. Worship broke out in a big way. And a number of years ago, 10 years or so ago, when I preached this, I, I had people learn that every time we opened the book that they were supposed to stand up and cheer. Because that's what the people did. When, when he opened the book, they stood up and like, whoo, they whooped and hollered and, and screamed. And you know what? And I won't do this to you here. They stood up for six hours to hear the word of God, they wanted to hear it so badly they stood for six hours. Can you imagine that? I mean, I sometimes on Sunday mornings will get an email saying, "Why do we have this dance so long? Those two praise songs that prayer—they were forever." I'm like, "Good Lord, you stood in line for the Hawkeye gear for a, a Hawkeye game for a pop longer than you were here. For goodness sake!" But for six hours, as Ezra read the book. And they interpreted it. And they raised their arms. Now, I want to tell you, in our culture, you raise your arms for two purposes, right? Touchdown, right? Or some act of celebration. You raise your arms to celebrate and and really just to be thrilled. And so, of course, those worshipers were. And the second reason that you raise your arms in our culture is I surrender. Which also is an appropriate posture to take at at worship, because when you surrender, you're giving the leadership of your will to another, which is where we should be at worship. As a matter of fact, when we go to summer games, we teach the kids, "Hey man, worship with your arms up. If you have got little marks under your under your uh, underarms, that's worship marks. It's okay. It's worship stains. They don't all smell good, but they're awfully awesome when they when they worship that way. But we need to understand that that when the book was brought in front of people. They just celebrated. They worshiped. And after standing up for so long, then they went face down on the ground and just bowed to the power of the word of God. And what you find in this scripture is that all the priests and the scribes were nearby so that they could make the words of the scriptures clear. Sometimes you've said it to me, others have said it to me, and sometimes it happens to me, to, to myself. I say, well, I don't really understand everything that I'm reading right here at this particular moment, what its context means, what it might mean to me. They had people deployed, making sure that all the men, women, and children that were there understood what was being read, because if the scripture's not understood, it's just words. But it's the message of the word of God to us. And then... What really is interesting, what happens after six hours of of worship, after six hours of hearing the scriptures read, do you know what the people did? They began to just weep, just crying and sobbing but probably they were filled with sorrow because they heard the law all all at one time together for maybe the first time in their lives and they realized that their lives weren't measuring up to what God would have them do and so they they were encountering you know face to face, maybe for the first time in a long time, the sin that they had in their lives. And so sometimes when we read the word of God and, and you hear how your life is falling short of the mark that God wants to, weeping's an appropriate response. When it's made clear to you, sometimes, I mean, that certainly happens to me, when I know that I'm not working out the way God would have me work out, it's okay to cry. And then, but watch what the leaders did. If you go back and read Nehemiah 8 later today, understand that as soon as the people started crying, the leaders said, hold on, hold on. We understand you're weeping, but this is a day of happiness. And and they give this command to be joyful. Hey, instead of crying, have a party. Eat the finest meats. Eat the finest cheeses. Have the finest drinks. Because this is a day to celebrate because now you know who God is. Because you've had his word revealed to you. And and that's an appropriate response as well to the word of God. God God's word does bring us great joy because in it we understand the truth and are encouraged to live by it. So, so don't come, get overwhelmed by it because the scriptures share what the truth is and encourage us to live by it. Now, I'm not gonna go into a full apologetic teaching, but I wanna give you four things that, that I hope will help. It starts like this. The word of God is our spiritual solid ground because it's God-breathed. The word of God is God-breathed. It's not made up. Scripture can teach us about God because it's from God. The first Bible verse we learned as a corporate congregation in, in August was John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I've had a lot of people over the years, college students and others, say, well, I don't know if I really believe in the Bible. It's just made up by a bunch of old white dudes. Like, well, let's talk about that for a minute because I've been to Israel, and white dudes <laughs> is not what's residential there. Okay, let's start with that. But not to debunk all that. But here's what the Bible is. It's the story of divine revelation, God's word, told in the vehicle of literature so that we might understand it in human words. Because if we were given the divine revelation of God, you know, God's heart to our heart directly, we could not consume it and we could not understand it because it's too great and powerful. So we get it page by page, word by word, so that we can begin to ingest it and understand it and grow closer to God. Because scripture can teach us how to live because it's from the source of life but we don't get the whole fire hose at once secondly The word of God is our spiritual solid ground because it's constantly tested and found reliable. Now you can take me and other religious nerds and throw our arguments out. I just want you to hear a few things. I'm not gonna give a long apologetic, which is apologetics means the defense of the Christian faith, but I wanna give you a quick run through and you can take a quick search on Google about how is scripture tested and found reliable and you'll get way more than what I'm giving you right here. But the Bible is constantly found true by those who seek to disprove it. That's one of the telltale signs of something that's truth. When you, when you try to disprove it and you can't find it to be wrong and you set your whole life to finding it's wrong, you run into great opposition by the Bible because truth is truth. There are, and you know, when we play Trivia Pursuit, remember that old game Trivia Pursuit? There were the brown squares that were science and nature. I don't know if I ever attained one. I really don't. That's like not my thing. So when I talk to you about science, you understand that I've read about it this week. So it's true. There are five scientific principles by which to study the unknown. Those five scientific principles that are used to study the unknown are time, force, energy, space, and matter. Time, force, energy, space, and matter. Every single one of them is contained in the first sentence of the Holy Bible. In the beginning, time, God, force, created, energy, the heavens, space, and the the earth matter. They're all right there. And they repeat themselves throughout. Humanity discerned in the 1900s that all the stars in the sky, because of the powerful telescopes that had been invented, could not be counted. 4,000 years previous to that, scripture had told us the same thing. 400 years ago, scientists observed that the earth spins freely on an axis, that it's not hanging on something, nor is it sitting on something which Job had said 4,500 years earlier. While the Bible is not a book of archaeology, archaeology continually proves the Bible's record to be correct. While the Bible is not a book of geography, it continually proves geology correct. So many bright minds, and I'm just gonna mention somehow the last century, that have decided We are going to disprove the Bible because the Bible is not reliable. We're gonna spend our lives, I'm gonna tell you about three people that spent their life work trying to disprove the Bible, educated men that knew a lot. One was called C.S. Lewis, who wrote a book called Mere Christianity. One's called Josh McDowell, who wrote the book More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And one's named Lee Strobel, who wrote The Case for Christ. All three of them started out as at least agnostic, but probably atheistic, which means not believing in a divine being, not necessarily being against God. They just don't believe in a divine being. And every single one of them, as they tested scripture against the world around them, found that nothing could be more true than scripture. So they wrote those pieces of literature that are about evangelizing those who don't believe in God to come to know him through the research they've done. So for those of you that have scientific minds, you want everything tested, read one of those three books and you'll be on your way to understanding Scripture as the solid ground that you need to stand on. The word of God is our scriptural solid ground is because in Scripture there are authentic revelatory experiences that affirm the God that we find in Scripture. God's presentations of God's self is consistent in the natural and spiritual order. When you look at the natural order of things and you test that against the Scripture, They seem to always jibe. When you hear and think about spiritual things and test that against the scriptural order, they tend to jibe nearly 100% of the time. God has uniquely revealed himself in human history. He has had many engagements, some in the lives of those of us right here. But if we look at scriptural examples, we see him in the burning bush. We see him when he splits the Jordan River open. We see him when, he, when Paul encounters him on the Damascus Road. And, of course, we all encounter him in the life and work and the incarnation of himself in Jesus Christ. So understand this. Understand this, when it comes to revelatory experiences that affirm the God of Scripture, it is that we do not seek God and find him it is that he chooses to reveal himself to us. He's always given himself to us so that we might know him. And fourth, way to know the word of God is our solid spiritual ground is to understand that it is sufficient. It is an all-sufficient word for our lives. It teaches us salvation about God's saving truth, about how he rescues us from what we were to what we can become. The very first verse we learned, or one of the verses we learned in the last few months is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not die, but have eternal life. So as Christians, we always say, and I always, I always tell students this, be born twice, but only die once. Be born of a human being and be born of the spirit and just die as a physical body and you live forever. That is the salvific message of Jesus Christ. Your, your spirit will be saved. Your eternal personality will be saved if you throw yourself into belief in him. This is what the scriptures proclaim. The scriptures also proclaim that if you are broken, if you need renewal, if you, if you have chaos in your life, you can be calm. If you're broken, you you can be healed. And that is why uh, uh, last month we learned this scripture, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. So that you might know, and we all might know, that in all things, even though they just seem like horrible things maybe at the moment, or joyful things at the moment, that God is behind all of them working out the good of those who love him. And when you read scripture, you find that over and over again. And in scriptures, don't miss this, it is also the benchmark for human Behavior, it teaches us that we live into a deeper love for those around us. We are, if we love Jesus, we most naturally will love the people around us. And love is a very specific action word, which is why, of course, as a congregation, we really bore down on Micah six eight. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your god. So when I say all this, that's what I meant when I started saying, this is the eat right, exercise more sermon. It's not that exciting. It's just true. We know if we want to be healthier, eat right, move around a little bit more. We know spiritually if we want to be healthier, we grab the book, and dive into it a little bit, learn a little bit more about ourselves, learn a, bit, a little bit more about god and be drawn towards him. But in the eat right, exercise more kind of sermon, I remember a youth pastor once saying at some camp I was at, listen to this, p- kids, you got to know this, it won't read itself. It won't read itself. It doesn't matter how many you have on your bookshelves, doesn't matter how many different versions of it you downloaded on your iPhone, it won't read itself. John Wesley calls us homo unis libra. You don't have to know much uh, Latin to understand that that is a man or person. Of one book. Student of many books, but we are as Christians to be a persons of one book. The whole Methodist movement is based on this little simple phrase prima scriptura. The primacy of Scripture. The Scripture is primary in all matters, temporal here in the world, and spiritual beyond the world. And we need to lead lean into those. But we can only follow what we read if we read it, right? can't really follow what you read. When we sing the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And if we don't know what it says, we'll make up anything. But if we read the book, then we know what to do. That's that's why, you know... One of the first verses we talked back in September, trust in the Lord, this is from Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding, but but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. And his paths are shown to us in Genesis through Revelation. Listen, for the most part, I don't trust anyone I don't know. Do you? So why would I trust a book that I don't know? It's really simple. We have to get to know the book. If we read the book, we get to know the word of God and we get to know the word of God. I will tell you this, that supernaturally, God will know you and you will get to know him more fully. So it's really simple. I'm not gonna keep you here on a snowy morning late into the afternoon because this is all that we're commanded to do is embrace it, engage it, celebrate God's holy word. It is the solid ground for our living. And I'll tell you this, if you're a visitor, or even if you're not a visitor, we buy Bibles for this church. That are underneath about every other seat. They're free for anybody that needs a Bible. Anybody that doesn't have a Bible at home, it's the same Bible that all these passages that show up on the screen are from. It's what we read from. It's called the New International Version. If you don't have one, really seriously, please, please take one. If you have a friend at work that says, I've always wanted a Bible, you take one of these because we can't engage it, we can't embrace it, we can't celebrate it if we're not standing on it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It is an inanimate object on our shelves unless we open it, and then it becomes your revelation to us, a living, organic thing. Lord, it's just words on the page unless we engage in it. So help us, God, be those that not, don't just hear the word, but live into the word. Lord, we know this. We know we're supposed to read the Bible. For goodness sake, we've been t- told this since we were knowing, knowing how to read. So let us step into it. Five of us, 20 of us, we know there's all kinds of Bible studies here, online, other churches, from, from Bible study fellowship to basic Bible to various and sundry other ones here. And so if we need a community, push us to join in one of those. We can start right now. Nobody's going to stop us. We'll be welcomed, but let us not neglect the beauty that you give us in your holy word. We know it won't read itself, and since we all know how to read, let us get to that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.